0: Good evening, everybody. Good evening. My Bible's opened up to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. I'll invite you to be finding Ecclesiastes 5 in your Bible as well. We'll be in a number of different places in the Old and New Testaments this evening. And so let's just be looking at the Word of God together. That's always a very helpful thing. And especially for me, it's an encouraging thing to see folks flipping along in the pages of the Bible or tapping on the phones, the screens of their phones to find the passages in the Bible. That's okay. Whatever you're using, let's just be looking in the Word of God together. It is a beautiful day that the Lord has blessed us with and I'm just glad that I've gotten to share uh, a good part of that with each of you in, in this worship uh, period this morning and this evening and uh, even after services in various ways. And it's just been an encouraging day in a number of different ways and I appreciate so much the fact that you've chose to be here tonight. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5, I want to just jump right into it in verses 1 and 2. The wise man says, Ecclesiastes 5 and verse 1, he says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Verse 2, be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth, therefore let your words be few. Last month, while I was preaching in West Carrollton, Ohio, I had the opportunity to do something that I had only done two times before, and in fact that was the previous April of just this past year, and that is I had the opportunity to fly on an airplane. This here on the right hand, this is Brother Andy Bodding, And Andy was one of the deacons there at the congregation in West Carrollton. And Andy also happened to be a licensed pilot. And he is the owner of a couple of small airplanes. This particular airplane that you see there in the top picture is a 1960 Beechcraft Debonair. It is a single-engine plane and it is designed to carry as many as four passengers. And Andy has been flying planes like this for about 15 years now. And on this particular morning, I think it was Tuesday morning of that week, we got up and we're in the Dayton area and we flew about 50 miles uh, to a small township in southwest Ohio that I do not remember the name of. But it was just a beautiful day. It's a beautiful day to get to enjoy God's creation and especially to enjoy God's creation from that perspective, about 4,200 feet above the earth. However, one of the things that just really struck me and really stuck with me from that morning's experience on the plane, was that Andy spent the better part of 30 to maybe even as close to 40 or 45 minutes doing just a number of pre-flight checks before we ever got into the plane and before we ever got up into the air. And when I say he was doing some checks, he wasn't just doing kind of the routine things that I would think of, like you know checking the gas tank and the oil and those sort of things. I mean, I'm not really qualified to do much more than that. But I mean, he was looking at everything. He was looking at the engine and he was tightening bolts on the panels and he was shaking things and lifting stuff up and he's checking little things like the wheels and stuff on the inside. He's getting the GPS coordinates all mapped out and planned. Just doing all kinds of stuff, which I'll tell you was very much appreciated on my part. But he's doing all of this stuff and it seemed a little bit odd because this is a guy who flies this plane regularly I mean he usually flies it like like every week if not several times a week and as I said a moment ago he's been doing that for 15 years now and his plane although it's a 1960 model he has kept it in excellent condition all kinds of updates and stuff that's been done to it in fact once we finally got inside the plane and we got seated and we got buckled up in there and I'm expecting okay we're finally going to take off now no 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 no. Andy then pulls out this checklist this was a sheet that just had dozens and dozens and dozens of pre-flight checks, and he was literally running down the list. And I can hear him saying, check, 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 check in all of these different areas. And what I came to realize during those few moments before we took off on that flight was I came to realize just how important that pre-flight business is. Whenever we get on an airplane, whether it's a single-engine plane like this or whether we're boarding a big commercial airplane, we expect that that pilot is going to have done a very thorough walk-around, that he's going to have done some thorough inspecting to make sure that everything is in order with that plane before he ever sends this giant piece of metal into the stratosphere. Now, I got to thinking about that, and I got to thinking how I don't do a walk-around on my car, and I don't do a thorough inspection of my car every time we load up and go down to Kroger. I don't do that. But of course, it's pretty easy if the check engine light comes off or if the low gas light comes on and I run out of gas, it's pretty easy in a car to just kind of pull off the side of the road and take care of that right there. But it's a little bit harder when you're up in the air to just pull over at 9,000 feet and take care of those kinds of things. And that's why pilots are required to do those pre-flight checks before they blast off into the sky because flying is serious business. Well, that idea is actually my connection to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Notice again in verse 2. Because Ecclesiastes 5 and verse 2, the wise man is saying here that we need to take prayer seriously, very seriously. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 2 wants us to give pause before we start spouting off before the Lord. This passage, amongst many others, it urges us to give some thought to what we're going to say before we ever even pray. In fact, maybe what we might call that, is we might call that pre-flighting our prayers. Doing a little walk around of our prayers before we ever send them up before the Father's throne. The wise man says here that bending the ear of the Almighty the opportunity to talk to Him and to ask Him things, ask for His blessings, to make requests and petitions of God, that that is an incredible blessing, but it also carries with it an incredible responsibility. And I wonder sometimes just how seriously we take that responsibility. Are we serious enough to just hit the pause button and do some checking before we ever even pray? Listen, regardless of what the world thinks, prayer is not some light matter, some trivial matter, the means by which we turn God into some kind of a cosmic vending machine, and all we need to do is we just need to get the right exact technique for putting the coins in the slot, and so God will then dispense with the goodies. No! Prayer is about humbling ourselves before the Lord. Prayer is about seeking the will of God. Prayer is about having connection with, with the Creator of the universe. And so instead of just kind of rush, 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 go, 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 dive into this sort of thing, what this means is this means that we need to think before we ever even pray. And so this evening, for just a few minutes, I'd like for us to do some pre-flight walk-arounds, if you will. And I want to do that by giving you three areas that are probably worth you stopping and checking before you pray. Three things that we need to inspect closely before we send those prayers into the heavens. Three ideas that will help us to ensure that our prayers are pleasing in the ears of the Father. And let's just start that with what might very well be just one of the very most important of all. We need to just spend a moment or two talking about the importance of repentance. Repenting of sin is certainly one of the most fundamental concepts in all of Scripture. And usually whenever we think about sin and what sin does, we usually think about that in a very self-centered way. We think about what is the impact that sin is going to have on me? What kind of temporal consequences might this sin bring into my life? Is this sin possibly going to cause me to lose my soul? And while all of that is good, we should think about those things. What we need to remember first and foremost is that sin, it is an affront to God. Before it ever does anything to us, it is an affront to God. Sin is transgression of God's law, which means that God is the very first one to feel the effect of our sin. Sin is always a slap in His face. Every time someone selfishly does what he or she wants to do, instead of doing what is right, That is an insult to God. In fact, maybe a better term for it is, it is rebellion against God. And that has consequences. Anytime we rebel against God, that's going to have an effect on us. Namely, this evening, sin's going to end up cutting the sinner off from God. I want to say that again. When we have sin harbored in our lives, that's going to damage our relationship with the Lord. It's going to cut us off from Him. Let me just pound that home with two or three passages in rapid fire. The first is in Isaiah 59. I I want to direct you to at least one or two of these passages may be very familiar to us. But what I want us to see from these passages, and maybe what we've not noticed enough, is that these passages and these things are said in the context of prayer. In Isaiah 59, this is a passage that we quote all of the time about the effects of sin. We point out how sin separates us from God. That's Isaiah 59, verse 2. But would you look at the whole of what's said there? Isaiah 59, verse 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or His ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Notice this. And your sins have hidden His face from you so that he does not hear. Do you see it there? Isaiah says, you've got some sin in your life, and it's hindering your prayers. God's not hearing you. Look with me in Psalm 5 now. In Psalm 5, this is credited as a psalm of David. And David here is he's doing some praying. And David is keenly aware of the fact that if he's not living right... These prayers just aren't going to work. In Psalm chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, David says, Give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King, my God, for to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. Notice verse 4 now. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. David says evildoers, people who are practicing sin, they are not welcome in the presence of God and the things that they might say to the Lord, the Lord's not really interested in. Let me add one more to that connection in the book of Proverbs now. In Proverbs chapter 28, the wise man says in verse 9, in Proverbs chapter 28 and in verse 9, He says, if one turns away his ear from hearing the law, and I want us to think about the idea of turning our ear away from hearing the law of God, then even his prayer is an abomination. Now, we read those verses, and there's lots of others I could have added to that. But we read those verses sometimes, and what we get out of that is, that's exactly right. Pagans and people out in the world who don't care about God, people who aren't Christians, people who are not in a covenant relationship with the Lord, they have no right to expect that God is going to answer their prayers. And you know what? That is true. That is correct. But I want you to notice and I want you to realize that these verses that we just read, these verses were not spoken to pagans out in the world. Isaiah chapter 59 was not the prophet addressing the Assyrians or the Babylonians. Hey, listen here, you Assyrians. Don't you be calling out to Jehovah because you're not in covenant relationship with Him and He's not going to hear you. That's not what's going on in Isaiah 59. Who's Isaiah 59 talking to? Who's Psalm 5 talking to? Who's Proverbs 28 talking to? Those passages are addressed to the people of God. Those passages are addressed to Israelites and by principle to spiritual Israelites today, you and I. And what those passages say is that we, yes, even God's people, we can mess up our relationship with the Lord. That when God's people commit sin and they continue in their sins and they do not repent, yet they still expect somehow that they can call upon the Lord to do our bidding, these passages say... You better think again. You better hit the pause button before you go asking God for anything because you're not living right. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7 now. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, since we're here in the Old Testament, this is after the dedication of the temple ceremony, this grand and glorious and amazing event that had happened during the reign of Solomon. And the Lord ends up appearing to Solomon in the night, later that same evening. And here's the condition that God lays on hearing and responding to prayer. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, I'm reading in verse 14. 2 Chronicles 7 and verse 14, God says, If my people who are called by my name, if they humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. The beginning of doing kind of a pre-flight for prayer is to be looking in my life and to see, am I harboring sin that I refuse to turn away from? That's exactly where it has to start. It has to start with repentance. Because without repentance, our relationship with God is going to be in disrepair. It is going to be broken. And yes, our prayers will be hindered. And you know, it's not just our relationship with the Lord that needs to be examined and given a little bit of pre-flight examination. Secondly, let me ask you this, what about your relationship with your brothers and your sisters in Christ? Jesus speaks to this in the Sermon on the Mount. Would you find Matthew 5, please? In Matthew chapter 5, there are several places in the Bible where either either God speaks or, 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 or Jesus speaks, And sometimes we tend to just kind of read these verses and just kind of run right by them. But sometimes if you'll actually stop and just kind of sit down and think for a moment about what he's actually saying, sometimes you'll just be shocked at what Jesus is saying. And in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, Don't go to church. Do you believe me? Look at Matthew 5 verse 23. Jesus says, If you are offering your gift at the altar... And there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Jesus says, there are certain situations in which I don't want you going to church. Because you have messed up your relationship with your brother or your sister. Instead of you going to church and coming in here before God and offering worship unto Him, what you need to do is you need to go to your brother. You need to go to your sister and you need to get that problem fixed. Is there any passage in Scripture that is maybe more ignored by Christians than this passage? Everybody, I would imagine, at some point, has known of someone in the church who has had a falling out with their brother, who's had a falling out with their sister. Sister X and Sister Y, they're not speaking to each other. Brother A and Brother B, they had a big kind of blow up, maybe even right here in the church parking lot, and so now they're just not, they won't even shake hands with each other when they come in the building. And everybody knows about it. Everybody knows that these brethren, that they've had some kind of a spat, And they're avoiding each other. And they exit from opposite sides of the building so as not to have to cross paths. And they're not on speaking terms. Things are just tense. Everybody else can feel it. But guess what? They've come here and they've come to worship God. What Jesus says about that? Jesus says, those people, they are wasting their time. They are kidding themselves. What they need to do is they need to get their problems with each other resolved. Because until they do that, they are not fit to worship. And prayer? Prayer is most certainly a component of what we do when we worship. Prayer is an act of worship whether we're doing that collectively and publicly. Prayer is an act of worship when we're doing that privately and in our own devotion to the Lord. And so if there is something amiss between me and my brother or my sister in Christ, what I need to be doing, according to Jesus, I need to be making the effort to fix that. Look in 1 Corinthians 12, please. In 1 Corinthians 12, this is the chapter that says so much about the body of Christ. That's a popular metaphor for Paul to use. And in chapter 12, he uses it in abundance. Notice with me in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, I'm reading here in verse 20. In chapter 12 of verse 20, he says, As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't have any need of you. you. Just get out of here. Nor again, the head can't say to the feet, I have no need of you. You can't do that. We're all a part of the body. We've all got to work together. We've all got to rejoice together. We've all got to sorrow together. Can you imagine the pain? That it would cause your physical body, if any one part of the body was attacking a different part of the body. What if your hand just started hitting your face, just kind of uncontrollably? What if your foot just started kicking your other leg, just violently, just just wailing away on it? What do we do about that? What we do about that is we go to the doctor, go see Doctor Ashley or Doctor Josh. We'd go to them and we'd seek some kind of medical attention for these spasms in our body because our own body is hurting and injuring itself. Now let me ask you this. Why then would we ever accept those kinds of spasms within this body, the body of Christ, where you've got a hand maybe lashing out at the feet Or maybe here's an ear and it's gossiping about the nose. When we do that, who are we bringing pain upon? Yes, I realize there's a sense in which we're bringing pain upon ourselves, but who are we ultimately bringing that pain upon? We're bringing pain upon the head of this body. We are bringing pain upon the Lord. In 1 John the 4th chapter, please. In 1 John chapter 4, John says, so much about our love for God, and God's love for us, and in the middle of all that, the love that we're to have toward one another. In 1 John chapter 4, John says this in verse 20. First John 4 verse 20, he says, If anyone says, I love God, but he hates his brother, then that person is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. It is clear that our God, He believes that we can measure our devotion to Him by measuring our devotion to our brethren. That is, that how we treat the family of God, and yes, that includes even those members in the family of God that we find annoying, that we just can't stand, That brother or that sister who always tells just awful, terrible jokes and just rants and raves about anything and everything. That brother or that sister who just infuriates us and angers us and makes us upset. We're to love even those brethren and how we then treat those brethren. That that is a direct reflection of how we think about and how we treat the father. Now, I know that as soon as I say all of that, point out what Jesus said there and these other adjoining passages, as soon as you say that to somebody, what's going to happen is that you're going to start hearing a boatload of excuses. You'll start hearing things like, well, you know, he's the one who started it. It's not my fault. She's the one who's in the wrong here. All I did was, we start saying those things and we're just sure that we're right. There's no ifs, no ands, no buts about it. It's all on them. They're in the wrong. Let me ask you this. If somebody offered you a million dollars in cash to go to that brother or that sister that you've got a conflict with, they offer you a million dollars to go and get things squared up with each other, would you worry at all about who started it? Would you give the second thought to whose fault it was and why it all happened. How fast would you take that initiative for a million dollars? How fast would you humble yourself for a million bucks? How fast would you be willing to say to that brother or that sister, hey, I am sorry. I'm sorry for my part in this, whatever my part in this was. I am sorry for that. We are brothers. We are sisters in the Lord. We need to put this behind us. How fast would you be to do that? Probably pretty fast. Tell me this then. If we're willing to do that for money, why would we not do that for the privilege and the opportunity to be able to pray to our Father and to be able to do that unhindered? I wonder, I wonder how many Christians' prayers are hindered because there's a relationship with a brother or a sister that's been broken. And somebody in that relationship is just refusing to do what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. i got to tell you, I stop and think about that. It just seems pretty dumb to allow that kind of thing to go on. And it hinders my communication with my heavenly Father. Which brings me finally this evening... To the book of Esther, would you find? I'll give you a moment to find the book of Esther. That's not a book that we look at often. I think the young ladies are starting to study Esther this quarter. I'll give you a little bit of a heads up here. In Esther chapter 4, this is where we're going to get this third pre-flight check for our prayers. And that is that before we pray, we need to remember what exactly it is that we are doing in prayer. In Esther chapter 4, there is great concern, the drama in this story is that the Jews, God's chosen people, that they are going to be destroyed. King Xerxes and all these other people, Haman and these other individuals, that they're going to end up destroying God's chosen people. But Mordecai, one of the heroes in the story, he has a plan here. And this plan involves Esther 4 verse 8. It involves him showing a copy of a decree to Esther, who is the queen, And he tells her to then take that decree. He says, go to the king and beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of the people. In other words, Mordecai says, Esther, you've got connections. You know a guy. You know the guy intimately and personally who can take care of and fix this entire situation. Your husband is the king. All you got to do is just go to him and just talk to him. He will fix this just like that as soon as you talk to him. But what Esther reminds Mordecai of is the fact that you don't just go barging in on the king and just say whatever you want. That's verse 11 now. Look at verse 11 of Esther 4. Esther says, all the king's servants and all the people of the king's provinces, they know that if any man or any woman, if they go to the king inside of the inner court without being called, there is but one law and that is to be put to death except you are the one who has the golden scepter reached out to them. Esther says, Mordecai, you can't just walk in and just start talking to the king if you've not been summoned, if you've not been sent for. You can't just wander by the castle and say, Hey king, how you doing? I just thought I'd chat with you for a little bit this afternoon. You can't do that. You need to recognize who it is that you're talking to. This is the king. Now, let me just pause right here because some of this business about the king, how the king is to be treated, some of this some of this may be lost upon us a little bit. The idea of going to a king, talking to the king, having some kind of an audience with the king and how that's a very special and very unique sort of thing, that's lost on us a little bit because here in America we don't have a king. And in fact, we're pretty happy that we don't have a king. That's why we left England 250 years ago in the first place. Our top official, the president, he's not like the king in a lot of ways. We see and hear from our president all the time. He's on television. He's at rallies. He comes to Kentucky. He's tweeting stuff out and he's communicating with people all the time. He's not sequestered off back here in a back room. and You've got to ask for some kind of special invitation in order to even see his face. No. And so the idea for us of approaching the president, when the president was here in Richmond last year or whenever that was, you could literally be in that building. And you could be in pretty close proximity and hear the president talk. And maybe you could even say something and he would respond back to you. And so the idea of talking to kind of the head honcho, that just didn't seem like that big of a deal to us here in America. But I'm going to remind you this evening that the Bible never likens God to the President of the United States. And he doesn't liken God to the Prime Minister. No, God is always talked about as being the mighty and the powerful King. And so we need to understand a thing or two about the King. In biblical times, people understood that kings, kings like King Xerxes here in Esther chapter 4, that you didn't just barge in and talk to him anytime you jolly well please. You didn't just pop in and say, Hey, I got something to say to you, buddy, and I want you to listen to me. No. Kings were treated with deference and with respect, and in some cases, even with reverence. And so thinking about that then, that's how kings were treated then. God refers to himself as a king. We read that earlier in that Psalm chapter 5. When we get ready then to approach the king, when we approach Him through this avenue of prayer, then that needs to be accompanied with a keen awareness that this is Almighty God. We are talking to the Creator of everything and everyone. We are about to speak to the King. And so as I have that understanding in my mind and in my heart, that should then shape what I say. That should then shape and guide what I'm now going to bring before the king. That's going to shape and mold the kind of requests that I then lay at his feet. Because those requests are going to need to be in accordance with what? They're going to need to be in accordance with the will of the king. Isn't it true that the more we know a person, the more we know what we can and cannot ask for of that person? My wife... She knows me. And so she knows not to come to me and to ask, hey, can we spend $500 on a new weed whacker? She knows what I'm going to say. What do we need a weed whacker for? I ain't mowing the yard. We ain't doing that. It's not going to happen. My wife knows me. She knows better than to come to me and to ask, hey, would you sign this petition that's going to outlaw and ban Mountain Dew? I'm not not going to do that. That request will not be granted. Tiffany knows me. And so she knows my will, if you will. She knows what she can and cannot ask me. She knows what she can and cannot say to me. Now right now, as I then think about God, what I need to be asking myself is, do I know the Lord that well? Am I aware of who He is? Who it is that I'm talking to when I pray? Am I keenly aware enough of His will, what He has revealed to me in the pages of Scripture, so that the things that are about to then come out of my mouth, those things then line up with His will. And I'm going to then talk to God and be careful about what I say and about how I say it whenever I approach Him through that avenue of prayer. What this third idea really speaks of is it speaks to the idea of developing just a proper mindset and a proper attitude so that we're able to do that thing that the Ecclesiastes writer wrote about in Ecclesiastes 5 verse 2 where we started, that we're not going to be hasty to just utter any word before the Lord, for God is in heaven, He's on the throne, He's the King. You are on earth, therefore let your words be few. That's a mighty important pre-flight check that we need to be doing before we pray. Now, I am thankful for my brother Andy that I got to meet last month and who got to take me up in his airplane. And I'm really thankful that he did do all of that pre-flight check-in before we ever took off in that plane. Because by doing all of that, what that means is is that means that we were able to have that entire flight and a very enjoyable afternoon incident-free. Well, aside from the fact that I did throw up on the flight back, but that was not on Andy, that was on me. But you know, doing all those checks and taking all those extra precautions and all those extra preemptive measures, it ensured that we didn't have something terrible and awful happen like, for example, a crash. And yet even as I say that, I wonder how many of my own prayers have crashed because I didn't do that kind of pre checking pre-flight, walk-around stuff. That I didn't think about my need to root out sin out of my life so that I could approach a holy God. That I didn't really make an effort to go and be reconciled to a brother or a sister that I'm in conflict with so that I can approach the Lord. And I didn't take seriously the fact that I'm talking to the Creator. I'm talking to the King here. I wonder how much of a mess I've made of prayers in the past. But I think that if I and I think that if all of us, if we can grab a hold of and hold on to these three R's, they'll help all of us to pray more effectively and pray in such a way that we can be sure God's going to be ready to answer. One fellow wrote the following. I tried to find the source for this, but I could not. So I'm just going to give it without the source. One fellow wrote this. He said, Dear Lord, prayer means so much to us But all too often, it's done in a rush. In a hurry, out some flowery words we blurt. We take no thought of that brother we've hurt. Glossing over our sin, we chatter away. There's just no time to humble self today. Oh, forgive us, Lord, of the mess we've made. All too often, we've been wrong when we prayed. We forgot You and Your will for all that we do. Remind us, Lord, we're talking to you. Let's go to God in a word of prayer right now. Would you pray with me, please? Our dear, gracious God, we come before you right now so thankful to you for the avenue of prayer, for the opportunity to be able to to have an audience with the Creator of the universe. But Father, even as we come before you right now, we are asking for your forgiveness for the fact that all too often we admit we are thoughtless and we are careless in how we approach you that we do not give the kind of forethought to the things that we're about to say. As we approach you, we've not given forethought to our life and where we are spiritually. We ask for your forgiveness, Father. Continue to be long-suffering with us and help us to do better. Father, help us to root out the sin that is in our lives so that we can be pure and holy when we come before you. Help us, Father, that we should love our brethren and help us to love them in such a way that we're going to want to be right with them and be square with them so that we can approach you. And Father, most of all, help us to recognize who you are, that we're not coming before you seeking our will, but help us to recognize we're seeking your will, the will of the King. Father, help us in all these ways, and help us that we would be a prayerful people in all that we do. We're thankful so much for our advocate, Jesus, who makes it possible for us to approach you in this way. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. You know, prayer is indeed a wonderful privilege, and it is available to all, but I will tell you right now as we're about to extend the invitation, prayer for God's children is very special and it is unique. Because it is only the children of God who can have the confidence and the promise and the assurance that God is going to answer our prayers. If you are not a child of God, and you'd like to have that wonderful blessing of knowing, yep, the Lord hears me and the Lord is going to answer me, as well as all of the other blessings that come along with being in Christ, the forgiveness of your sins, every spiritual blessing in Jesus, then this opportunity is available to you right now to come and confess your faith in Jesus as God's Son and be baptized in water for the remission of your sins. If you are a Christian, but you're not living like a child of God ought to, then brother or sister, what do you need to do? What was point number one tonight? You need to repent. You need to repent. You need to root out whatever it is that's in your life that is putting a big barrier between you and your God so that you can then be restored to that right relationship with Him once more. Can we help you in that prayer? Can we help to encourage you in some way so that we can all serve the Lord better from this day forward than we have in the past? Whatever your need may be, this invitation is open to all. Come right now while we stand and while we sing.